Welcome to the Seeing Beauty Sessions podcast. I'm your host, Lori Marie. Seeing Beauty Sessions is about stories of how women have turned their pain into purpose. Welcome to Seeing Beauty Sessions. I'm Laurie Marie, and today I have the beautiful Carla Marquardt with me. And Carla, I'm so excited to have you. We have known each other for a while, and um, I was actually part. I, I I was actually part of a little bit of, like I experienced some of the the what you went through, um, you know, several years back. And so it's really been amazing to watch your journey unfold and to see how, you know, what has come of it. And uh, I'm really excited just to have you and to share, share your powerful story with everyone today. Awesome. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> so Carla, let's start off by, um, why don't you just tell us uh, a little bit about kind of your story and we'll kind of jump in we'll kind of dive in from there and see where where it takes us okay so should I start at like being a little kid or should I start an adult <laughs> it's kind of all part of it so I think okay yeah but kind of like you know you gave me kind of a general timeline so I think that yeah great story kind of yeah okay awesome so um, when I was a, I would say, uh, elementary schoolish, I was diagnosed with a bicuspid aortic valve that was stenotic and regurgent. So those couple words mean a lot. <laughs> um, so pretty much the um, bicuspid valve means that I was born with a valve, um, an aortic valve that only had two passages instead of like a three, um, like a normal valve. Um, your aortic valve is pretty much your main, um, is your valve that pumps the blood to your body so you can function. Um, a stenotic valve is um, usually thick and it's also narrowed. Um, so they don't, um, your body just naturally does not produce as much blood flow as somebody that's normal. So on top of like having the bicuspid with only having two passengers, then I already have like a narrowed valve. Um, regurgent is, um, it's leaky. So it also leaks out. So as I was a young girl, my doctor always just told me that um, I would be but I had to watch what I did. I had to watch my activity. I couldn't play any sports that pushed me hard. Um, basketball, I couldn't run track. Uh, soccer would have been on the list and a swim, swim team were on the list. So it was pretty much, I was able to play softball and stuff like that where I could start and stop myself as much as I needed to. Um, and I saw the doctor probably about um, once or twice a year until I was about 18. Um, at that time and every single year, they just really told me that there was never a change, that it was always the same. And I would ask, you know, well, is there ever going to be a change? And pretty much what they told me is, yeah, you know, like probably when you're, you know, 
older, when you're like 70, you know, you're probably, you might have to have surgery. Nobody ever told me that I, I guess really, what it really meant to have this. Mm -hmm. Um, so when I was like 18 to 20, somewhere in there, I stopped going for my yearly checkups because insurance and it costed a lot when I had to start paying for it myself. Um, and I started skipping and I would skip a couple years. And then I got to be to the point where I probably skipped maybe like five or six years. Um, in that time, um, I had gotten pregnant with my first daughter um, in um, like 2000, 2001, she was born. They checked me then and everything was fine. So I was like, okay, well, everything's fine. Then after that, I don't think that I went and got it checked at all um, for probably about the next eight years. Um, at that time, um, I had gotten pregnant and I went to um, the doctor for my 12-week checkup and everything was perfect. I had my first ultrasound. Everything was absolutely like beautiful. Um, they got good pictures. I saw, you know, everything was great. Um, and then my doctor said, you know, Hey, everything looks awesome. He's like, but you know, you really haven't been to a cardiologist in a while. So let's just get you to, um, get you an echo, which is the imaging of the heart where they can see everything that's going on, which is pretty much an ultrasound, but on your heart. Mm -hmm. Um, so I had the ultrasound done and within like two hours, I think of having, that echo done, I had a call from um, the high risk pregnancy doctor that he needed to see me the next day. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. So can I just, okay, so I wanna get into this a little bit first. So, okay, yes. it sounds like up until this point, it didn't, I mean, yes, there are things, you know, that you needed to watch with your heart, mm -hmm. but it didn't sound like, I don't know, like what was your thoughts growing up like did you really take it serious did you think like oh well I just can't do these certain things like like what was your your mindset around like taking care of your heart around that time um I definitely did not take it serious um <laughs> like to the point that in middle school like yeah I didn't get to run track but I was the fastest runner in my entire class yeah. I um, had, I think, one boy that could outrun me in the mile. Like, I I mean, obviously, I was pushing really hard. Yeah. Um, the only time I think in my entire life I saw my dad cry was the day that I told him I couldn't join the basketball team because I, that's all I did is all, that's all I did growing up was play basketball, run, play softball. I was just super sporty and athletic. Um, yeah. At that, um, yeah, I'm just thinking that's... As a teenager, like, I don't know about you, but I wasn't thinking about, like, taking care of myself. I was just like, no. I'm going to do whatever I want. You know? No, and, you know, in middle school, I started smoking, um, and not just smoking a little bit. I mean, I smoked quite a bit for, like, through high school and in my, um, through my 20s. Like, I just never realized, I guess, like, they went to these, um, I went to these appointments and they said, you know, there's been no change. There's been no change, but nobody actually talked to me about the different things that you can do to make your heart healthier. Mm -hmm. And I just, you know, I 
couldn't do these other things. So I was going to do everything else and I was going to do it yeah. and have a lot of fun doing it. So, yeah, I, well, I, I could just imagine like, you know, a teenage mind just being like, Oh, well they say it's all good. So I'm good to go. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. What happened when, okay. So like you're cruising along, you're thinking like everything's cool. Everything's fine. You're just kind of like living life. Right. And then mm -hmm. now you're like getting a call from the high risk pregnancy doctor, like then what? <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, honestly, when they first called, I didn't even realize kind of, I guess, to what extent the news that he was like going to give me was, it was really like, okay, well, he wants to see me. And I think that I, um, I think that my mom actually came along. I don't even know if my husband came along to that appointment because I really just didn't think that it was going to be like a super serious thing. Um, so when he called, they said that they wanted to see me within the next like two days. Um, so it actually worked out that the next morning I drove um, up that way. It was, it was like an hour away was the appointment at that point in time. Um, so I drove up there and they did another echo and then they did another ultrasound of the baby. And he told me that my heart just really um, was taking a beating. Um, and at the point that it was, he needed to refer me to a cardiologist um, and he needed clearance from the cardiologist because he didn't he didn't, he had never experienced a case like this. Um, but he, I mean, he was definitely was talking to me like in a tone that was very serious. Um, and he didn't tell me at that time, like what really the future was going to hold. Mm -hmm. Um, so after that day I went home, I'm like, okay, well, this is crazy. You know, I got to see this cardiologist. And then they told me that usually this cardiologist is booked like months out. He's, uh, the head of cardiology for an entire hospital group. Mm -hmm. um, and he specializes in the um, kids that are growing up with congenital heart disease and then are adults. Because when you're a kid with congenital heart disease, you're seen at like the children's hospital um, and that kind of thing. But then when you go over into like adulthood, they kind of stop holding your hand. So now I'm like, okay, well, so they set me up with this guy who is you know, obviously really good. Um, they call me the next day and they said, okay, so we can get you in. We need you down here. It was about two hours away from my home. Um, we need you there at Friday at 10 o'clock, you know, and so all of this is like happening. And I think within like from the ultrasound to my first appointment, it was probably about a week and a half to two weeks. Um, so they got you in quick. Yeah, they got me in really quick. Everything was, um, everyone, everything happened really, really fast. Um, it probably started, I found out I was pregnant in maybe like the end of July. Um, it was probably the end, yeah, it would be about right, the end of September was when I had that 12-week ultrasound. Mm -hmm. um, and then now we're like almost to the beginning um, of October was this first, um, appointment. So, did you um, get a little concerned seeing that they like this guy that 
you know, uh, people can't get into for months is now like, like a week later. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And the only reason that he was seeing me a week later is because he's actually, um, was out of the country traveling the week that, um, they called his office to get me in. So it wasn't, um, I think that probably if they could have gotten me in earlier, it probably would have happened even earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, so now I'm like about, like about 14 weeks pregnant. Um, and I go down to them and I have my first, um, echo of my heart and it took about two and a half hours. My average, um, echo when I am going and have be seen as anywhere from like 45 minutes to an hour. So, I mean, I could tell that, you know, even though I hadn't had a lot recently, I had been having them since I was a little girl. So I knew that they were definitely looking <laughs> at stuff. Yeah. Um, and being very cautious while they were. So at the end of my echo, the doctor himself came in, um, and he had, um, a team of doctors with him from, um, Italy. So I'm laying on the bed and he comes in and he kind of grabs the scanner and he starts doing all the scans over. And then he has about six other doctors with him looking over me. Um, and then he left. And so my um, girl that has been doing my echoes for many, many years now, you know, she just says, you know, a lot of times what they do is he is sitting in his wall. And I guess when you like talk about like Grey's Anatomy or something like that, and you see like they're looking at stuff on a big screen, like he literally has that in his office. So as she's doing my echo, he's watching it on like a movie screen in his office. So um, and discussing what is going on. So sometimes when he just wants to really make sure he wants to come in and do everything himself to make sure something, um, I guess, is the same as what he's seeing it, I guess. I think he's probably hoping for a different outcome. Mm -hmm. Um, so by the end of that appointment, I met with him, um, his nurse practitioner, and um, a few of the people from this other team of um, doctors. And the reason they were with is they follow him. He always has um, fellows watching over him and um, learning other cardiologists. So, um, so he came in and he looked at me and he pretty much just told me immediately that there was no way that I would live through having that baby. Um, he said, um, that they could check out other um, hospitals, but the chance that I would really actually live through that baby without um, going into cardiac arrest was very, very slim. That my valve at that point in time was pumping like, I don't know, something like an eighth of the blood that it should have been pumping. Mm -hmm. So that was 14 weeks. they, um, I saw him again, I believe like about a week later. Um, and you know, just to discuss, I had met with him. I had met with the high risk doctor. I had met with my, um, OB all like every single day I was going to at least one or two doctor's appointments. Everybody was just watching to see. So he went and he scanned me again to see within that like two week time frame 
what had happened and it had deteriorated more. Mm -hmm. So they knew at that point there was just no possible way that they would be able to um, keep me alive long enough to have the baby be viable. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so what, <laughs> yeah. when he says this to you, like what, what went through your mind? Like, how did you, like, how do you even receive, you know, someone telling you this? I don't know that you really do. I think that, like, you get into this mind, like, it just, like, came at me so fast and so hard that um, I don't even know that at that point in time that I really understood what was going to be happening. Like, I think that I was just like, what? Like, and I never, I guess I didn't. <laughs> I don't ever think that I really um I don't know that I even had enough time to process everything if that makes sense I oh. everything happened so fast that I had to ha make so many decisions um my mom and Josh were both with me that day and we went to afterwards we went to um for Asian food <laughs> like and I just remember like sitting there and like staring at my plate and my mom saying you know that well, you're going to be fine. I know you're going to be fine, you know? So mm -hmm. I think, I don't, I don't know. It took me a while, I think, to understand. Well, I'd imagine it would be really shocking, first of all. Yeah. And then, like, I'm guessing at this point now, it's, you know, you're realizing how serious this is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, I also at that time had a um, nine, almost 10 year old daughter at home, you know, so mm -hmm. like there was just a lot of, a lot of stuff that went through my head really fast. Mm -hmm. um, I just, I never, I guess I never thought that that would be even something like before I had gotten pregnant that I should ask my doctor about because I was, everything was always going to be fine, you know, and I wasn't, I was 30. 34 going on 34 and you know it just wasn't something that I guess really sounds like was even in your radar <laughs> no yeah. yeah I didn't picture myself as old at that time <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so your doctor tells you this, like, then what, what happened after that? Yeah, so when I left there, I had in my head that they had talked about sending me to Northwestern Hospital. Mm -hmm. um, they had brought, you know, and when I say they talked about sending, it was pretty much like mentioned, and then it was skipped over because it was too dangerous. It really, like, I think everything that they were saying that, well, we maybe could send her to Mayo or we maybe could send her to Northwestern. But then you, then they were saying that, um, then I would be in the hospital for, um, from, they thought maybe they could keep me out of the hospital until I was 18 weeks. So at this time I'm almost, I'm like 15 weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, so I wasn't going to be at home very much longer. 
Um, and then I would have to sit in the hospital as long as they could try to keep me alive. But then um, they honestly, they just didn't think that I would make it through any kind of um, birth. Mm -hmm. um, so when you're that early in pregnancy, the talk is let's just try to get you to 25 weeks. Well, that's a long time from 15 right. weeks when your heart is giving out. So right. um, when I got back, I met with like my other, my other two doctors up here who had um, done some conference calls and um, met with him down um, at that hospital. And they just really broke it to the news to me. Um, my OB who like became like a really good friend through that time because that was pretty crazy. Um, he broke it to me that there was just nothing that they could do, that if they were going to keep me alive, that I would have to abort the baby. Mm -hmm. um, so how Wisconsin <laughs> treats abortions when you get to that point is the same for everybody. It doesn't matter if you are a 26-year-old looking to have an abortion, a 16-year-old, or you're being told by your doctors that you have to do this. You still have to go through the counseling. Mm -hmm. You still have to wait the 24 hours. And then the only thing that differed um, from mine is they were able to do mine in the hospital. Mm. So, um, but because of how fast everything was moving, I still had to go through um, going to Planned Parenthood uh, and getting the counseling done there. So when I went to my counseling appointment with my husband at Planned Parenthood, we went through the protesters. And obviously at this point, I'm just completely heartbroken. I think all I did for, and you probably remember this, I don't think that I didn't cry at all, like in right. two weeks. Like I just, I would cry every day so hard. And um, <laughs> okay. okay. And uh, we went to Planned Parenthood that day and it was filled with all kinds of people. And I had known, I had been there before. Um, and I was sitting there with my husband and they called me back because they're going to do an ultrasound and they're going to do um, like everything just to make sure, you know, where we were at. And they, um, oh, sorry. No, no. I totally thought I was going to make it through this without oh. crying. <laughs> I've had years. <laughs> So they call me back and Josh gets up to stand up with me to walk back there. And they looked at him. They're like, I'm sorry, you can't go with her. And I said to them, I'm like, why? And they're like, well, that's, this is our policy. You know, you, it's, they just have it set up, you know, because this is not the situation that they're normally used to dealing with. And I totally understand. And um, so I went back there, they did the ultrasound, they, um, did not let me see the ultrasound at all, mm -hmm. um, and they did not let Josh come back with me, so afterwards then I had to go through the counseling, so like 
I knew, you know, and I just kept on saying to him, I'm like, you know, this isn't my choice. Right. Like, you know, like, this isn't something that I want, you know, and, um, okay, let me just catch my breath. <laughs> that had to have felt so incredibly, like, lonely to, like, be going through this and then they won't let him in the room yeah it just made me feel like you know like I knew like and it was something that I did not necessarily want and I feel kind of weird saying that um because um I you always have a choice I mean you have a choice in life I could have told them to F off that I'm going to go through with this pregnancy, you know, I, but when they're, when somebody's looking at you and saying that, like, you have a choice, like, this is, you are going to die, like, that, right. it switches, so, um, when, so, fast forward, we get done with the ultrasound, we go through the counseling, and the next, I mean, it was the next day that they had to get me in, so, it just happened so fast. Like I had a, ha I was the first appointment in the morning at Planned Parenthood. So then my surgery could be at, I think it was like 9 30, 10 o'clock the next day in Milwaukee. So mm -hmm. everything was just um, one thing after another. So I remember coming home that night and just sitting in the bathroom with my husband and my daughter. And I was just crying so hard that I was getting sick. Mm -hmm. And it, for hours if we just all like laid in the bathroom and cried it out because sometimes you know like every one of us were um the next day you know we didn't want it to be like I think that Coral knew what was going on but I don't know that she knew to the extent because at that time she was very young um so we took her to school like a normal day Mm -hmm. and had somebody picking her up um and then we headed for the hospital um when I was there they were very they were amazing to me they um not once did I ever feel like I was going in there to do what I had to do um okay. they were um pleasant with me they they were very kind very um very supportive mm -hmm. um they at this point in time um they also knew that <laughs> because if you don't have one thing you have like five things so <laughs> um i also have a bleeding disorder um and it causes my um blood not to clot so at that time then they're you know they get to that point they're like okay well we have to worry about this so we have to give you this extra medicine because we don't want this to happen. Well, um, I did hemorrhage after the procedure. So I, that was my, I think it was like the second blood transfusion that I had ever had. So the dating goal is good as it should have. Um, but I did get out of there later at night. Um, and I think for the, about the next, you know, the next few days, I just don't even remember really just because I was so sad and so lost. Mm -hmm. um, 
they, um, during that time though, after that, um, the reason that that was kind of, that process was all rushed around, um, is because my, the day that they did the abortion was, um, my 16 weeks. Mm. So it was already getting late. Um, Mm -hmm. and they needed to give me my open heart surgery. So they needed to have everything kind of timed out. So they knew that they wanted to give me, um, it was two weeks to heal. Okay. So, um, I went home and to another trauma. Like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And a two weeks. Wow. Yes. So everything now, like, so from the 12 week to the, um, abortion that was all within four weeks I mean trying to get into the doctors and them all meeting so it really did happen really fast Mm -hmm. um and it also happened in the time that think about you know when you are pregnant if you ever ever had a child you have that first ultrasound or you hear those first heartbeats you know at that point in time and it's supposed to be your most exciting time you know so Mm -hmm. it just flipped my world around um I forget, we did that, remember we did a shoot together, like, yes, the, the three of you and I, and was that before or after? I felt like it was before. It was like the, um, Sunday before my surgery. Yes. So my surgery, um, so this was like the 16th was everything, the abortion, the 28th was my birthday and that was my surgery date also. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was my two weeks to heal and gone. So yes, we did that shoot. In that span. Okay. Yeah. It was like yeah. Both when we had done that, I just can't remember if it was before or after. Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, honestly, like when we did it, nobody knew what was going to happen. Like, I feel like sometimes when I look at those pictures, like I'm just like, God, you know, it was almost like, is she going to come home? (laughs) Yeah. You know, even though, you know, just because it had been so hard. Yeah. You know, Yeah. which I'm glad we did. You know, I'm glad that we, I feel like, you know, I, I feel like looking back now, like it, it feels to me like that was something you guys needed, just like yeah, and play, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, it's a but it's a it is good looking at them because I feel like now I'm just like a completely different person than mm-hmm. I was then. Mm-hmm. I don't think that I would ever. I don't think that I could ever be that person again. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So now we have. Wait, sorry. Yep. <laughs> what I want to understand, like, what you mean by that? Oh, well, I think that. Um, like, I think that before that, I was just a lot more carefree and wild. <laughs> um, <laughs> Like the um, kids say, can I swear? It sounds like absolutely. <laughs> the kids say now I could give two fucks, you know. Like I just was like, oh, let's let's do that. Let's do this. I don't really care. Like I'll I was the try anything, have fun, party. Yeah, I was just always up for whatever 
came my way. You know, if somebody wanted to go on an adventure, I was up for it. I don't think that, um, I like, I have something now, like I see like a different world than I did then. Like I didn't understand how, um, how easily everything could slip from you. You've gone through this like awful procedure and and now you're about to go into heart surgery like so what happens after that so um like I said for the next two weeks I pretty much we did the same thing we did the night before we cried yeah until I got sick every single night mm -hmm. and just spends as much time like with everybody I think you know within those two weeks I think I saw every single one of my friends and spent time and did the photos and um loved up my daughter as much as I possibly could mm -hmm. um and then we all went down the night before and stayed in the hospital uh or the hospital um we stayed in a hotel mm -hmm. near the hospital because I had I think I had to be there at like four o'clock in the morning or something just crazy. Yeah. So um, a couple of the things that I experienced. Okay. So it's my birthday and, and I said before 24, I was actually 25. Um, I lost my year in there. Um, and I was turning 26 mm -hmm. that day. Um, so when I got there, they, you know, do the same thing they do before any, they, you know, give you an IV, they, you know, talk to you, ask you all your stuff. And then what I wasn't prepared for is they actually um, walk you down a hallway and um, make you say goodbye to everybody. And oh my then, God. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then they put okay. you in an elevator. Yes. It's, it's kind of the worst thing in the whole world because <laughs> they haven't really gave you anything at that point to knock you out or even, you know, like sometimes if you have surgery, they give you like this thing that will like make you feel a little loopy. Yeah. So they hadn't done anything like that. So my mom and my stepdad, my best friend, my daughter, my husband were all there. I think that's it. I don't I feel like, I feel like there was a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and they rolled me to these doors and they're like, okay, now it's time to say goodbye. And I'm like, what? You have to be kidding me. Like, which I don't, they should not do that. Right. Um, so I said goodbye. And I mean, well, they, let's be honest, people are already thinking it, right? They're already thinking, yeah. Okay, I, you're like, I want to like have you know every moment here, like, yeah, you definitely have no idea what's um really gonna happen from then on out, you know. So you say goodbye, you're bawling, you're scared, you're going up this elevator to the pretty much like the surgical floor, I'm assuming, right? Um, and then they roll me into this room, and so. I'm awake when they take me in there and there's one other lady in there who was, oh my gosh, she was, she was old, um, older. She was probably 80, 
ish. She was, it was also her birthday. Yeah. So not only do I have like, like, in there on my birthday, let's get heart surgery. <laughs> yeah. So it was, we're talking and I'm like, I can't even believe it. I'm like, why did I decide to have this surgery on my birthday? And she's like, oh, honey, it's my birthday too. You know, <laughs> like, and then the next thing I know, I am waking up. So, it, you know, in well, this you know, room. It's kind of beautiful. It's like a rebirth, you know? You're like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. They, um, from what my understanding is, is they um, got me into surgery and they had me on um, bypass at, I think it was like seven o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, my actual birth date, um, I was born at like 7.20 in the morning. So my joke, I've spoken at a few um, Go Red for Women events. And my joke has always been that I'm actually a year younger since I completely missed that (laughs) birthday. So when I say I was 34, 35, 36, it all kind of just rolls in together. Like, yes, that would have been my 36th birthday that I was on my pass for. (laughs) and the next thing that um, I know is I was waking up in the ICU and um, I remember flashes of faces and stuff like that. I don't really remember much, but I do um, do remember bits and pieces of the um, ICU staff coming in and singing me happy birthday and bringing me a cake, um, which I could not eat. <laughs> so, yeah, I was like, you need it? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And, you know, you see like pictures of people when they're in that kind of stuff and all the tubes and stuff. And I guess, I mean, I had them all. Um, Mm -hmm. By the time they let people in, they had um, like my breathing tube out of my mouth and stuff like that, because I really didn't want my daughter to see that. Um, But they did bring her in for a little while um, while I was waking up. And then they, um, then she left. Mm -hmm. Um, So... Then um, recovery, I mean, that was just, it's crazy. I guess, you know, you don't really understand um, pain and your pain tolerance until your body goes through something really traumatic uh, like that. And it was a whole different ballgame. Like you, they pretty much have you up and trying to walk that day or the next day. I mean, it was it was fast. I always find that so crazy. I feel like, you know, you think of something like open heart surgery, you think, I don't know, yeah. I always think like, oh my God, like, don't move, don't, you know, don't, yeah, like, yep. feel, but I suppose, like, I mean, the heart's a muscle, right? And you gotta, like, work mm-hmm. it. So, like, yeah, that makes sense. But you just think, yeah. like, having been, like, open, like, don't move. Well, and, and the biggest thing that you don't even realize, like that I didn't realize going in. Okay. So I said that I had, you know, had been a smoker. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, when I was pregnant, I had slowed down tremendously. Um, but I did smoke again then from the time that I found out, I mean, that was my kind of my coping through everything. Yeah. Um, but I had, um, but going into surgery that day, I didn't realize the um, how much your lungs take a beating mm-hmm. while you're in an open heart surgery. Um, mm-hmm. It's they. I mean, you pretty much have to learn to 
take deep breaths again. And I don't think that I will ever be able to take deep breaths the way that I did when, um, before surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a big thing. Um, walking, um, within four, it was four days or five days that I was in the hospital. Um, mm-hmm. and then I was home. Um, so everything, I mean, still just kind of like that whole month, everything just happened really fast. I didn't realize that I would be there, um, just a few days. Mm-hmm. Um, after I got home, then, um, I started with, um, after I was healed enough, then I started with like a cardiac rehab. Um, and after I finished going through that, I, by the time I was done going through that, I had been going to the Y pretty much, um, uh, five days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, um, one thing that they did when you go in for an open heart surgery, you have, um, choices. So you can choose to have a, um, donor valve, which is, um, usually from a pig or a cow, Mm -hmm. um, or you can have a mechanical valve. So at that point, um, within those couple of weeks of me making all the rash decisions, then they ask you, you know, and you have to make up your mind before surgery, what kind of valve you want. So they go over through the list of stuff. So um, at that point in time, it was very important to me that I wanted to be able to get pregnant again. I wanted my husband to be able to have a child. Mm-hmm. I wanted to have another one. Um, so I had um, you had, I had to go with a donor valve from a, um, cow Mm -hmm. and, um, knowing then though, um, when I made that decision is that I would have to do another surgery. Mm -hmm. Um, so at that point in time, they gave me, um, like 15 years. I think they said that my second surgery would be like somewhere, like somewhere around 15 years. Mm Mm-hmm. So, um, why, can you explain, like, why is that? Do you know, like, is it just because animal versus machine? Like, so mechanical, yeah, I think it's just, I guess it just wears out. They just wear out, um, as your body uses it. I can't, you know, I, um, mechanical is obviously going to be strong because it's you know being it's metal and it's you know it's being um it's made a lot better but then when you're when you have a mechanical valve you have to be on blood thinners so that was um that was the reason why at that point in time I could not choose a mechanical valve was because then I would have to be on blood thinners for the rest of my life um and you can't you're not supposed to (laughs) um, get pregnant or have a baby on blood thinners. Right. Um, okay. cause it's very risky for the fetus. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you get through, whew, you get through all of that. Yes. Like during this time, like what, what was that like for like your husband and for your daughter? Like, cause while you're going through this too, like they're also experiencing all of this and like, you know, did they say much about what that was like for them or like, um, you know, my husband has been very quiet about it forever. He doesn't really say, I mean, I know, 
I mean, it totally affected us. It affected our relationship. It affected him. Um, it, um, it just was a very, um, a very crazy time, but I, you know, like he has not ever not supported me mm-hmm. through it or anything. It was always, um, he was always been very supportive about it. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things, um, my daughter, um, although like she was, you know, 10 at the time, she really, um, it really has shaped her life. Like mm. she, um, since my surgery, she never missed another, she had never missed a doctor's appointment. So every one of my checkups, she always went, she always asked questions. Her and my, um, cardiology staff have been, um, she, they've been watching her grow. Um, so, you know, as she was growing up, she knew that she wanted to go medical of some sort. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, whether it was like imaging, doing the echoes or nursing, you know, and now she's kind of on a PA path, but she's always known and they would give her like little testings and stuff. The doctor, (laughs) I remember he said, um, okay, so the next time your mom comes in, I want, your I want you to tell me what a hummingbird's heart rate is mm-hmm. and I want to know a elephant's heart rate you know and <laughs> so yeah. it was really so he would like give her little things and then she would go and she'd be like okay a hummingbird's heart rate is and he's <laughs> yeah. like okay so now do you know why that is you know and so then yeah. she, the next time she would have to like research and so it's been <laughs> I mean it's definitely like shaped I guess part of the process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she has definitely through the years has not wanted to, she wants to be informed. She doesn't want to not know what's going on. It's very important for her. And, um, you know, I guess her anxiety or whatever to know, you know, if I'm not doing good or if I am. Mm -hmm. So, um, through the years, like every, three or six months, whatever my appointments have been, she's always came along. Um, I think that's great though, that you have this open dialogue about what's happening because yeah, I think a lot of times, you know, as parents, we want to protect our kids, and, but we want to keep them in the dark, but it actually, I think, makes it harder for them to not know mm-hmm. just what's going on. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, um, I think that's totally true get through recovery like tell us then what has happened since then yeah yes because i know there's more (laughs) right because one thing would not be enough (laughs) so since then so my doctor, like the whole point of doing the bovine valve was so I was able to carry another baby. Mm-hmm. So February of that, um, after my surgery, so my su- surgery was October 28th. So February, they gave me the go ahead that I could get pregnant. Mm-hmm. So why waste any time, right? Let's have this happen. So I pretty much um, get pregnant really fast. Um, probably it must have been like April or something like that. So I go to the doctor. Um, 
everything, you know, looks to be good. My, they did the blood work, you know, it was too early to hear a heartbeat or anything. Um, I go to the doctor, um, for my ultrasound Mm -hmm. and, um, to hear the heartbeat for the first time. And he couldn't find a heartbeat. So he puts me into an ultrasound. So this is in June now. Um, he puts me in ultrasound and here I have what they call a molar pregnancy, which is really crazy. It's probably one of the craziest things that I can say that I, my body has went through. I mean, your body feels like you were pregnant. Like I was sick and my belly was growing and I felt pregnant, but it wasn't, there was never a baby there. So here, that's my 12 weeks. Um, they have to do a DNC to remove the mole. I don't even, I wish I hey, even buddy, knew more. Okay. Yeah. Just, <laughs> remove what? Because if there's no baby there, like, I don't, under, like, yeah. It's like, help us understand, like. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I wish I could even explain it better. So pretty much from my understanding, it's something is there. Mm-hmm. It's just not a baby. Okay. It's so it's so you still have to um, go through the process as if there were a baby there. Yes. Again. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yes. So um that was on um it was towards the end of June then when they removed the um mole or mole. It, I like I said, I don't really I kind of was so traumatized by it happening again. I just was, I tried to blank it out as much as possible. Um, um, so then we, um, talk a little bit and he tells me that I need to wait, you know, like six months before I try getting pregnant again, that, um, that's just something that happens. And, um, just wait let my body heal yeah I I don't even I don't even under I don't even understand how it happens it's something gets fertilized or not and it's but I mean is this something that's very common like because I I think that it I think that it is is it I think yeah I feel like it is a common thing um I don't know myself anybody else that's had it but it seemed like it was um they knew what it was yeah it wasn't out of it wasn't completely um it's just like a a thing (laughs) (laughs) yeah so so they say six months um so now we're like into November and I have to go and I have a checkup um it's the end of November beginning of December and I tell my doctor listen I've had enough Mm-hmm. Um, before I had gotten pregnant with my, um, the baby that was aborted through my surgery, mm-hmm. I had, um, miscarried, um, the year before mm-hmm. and, um, I just didn't, I couldn't take anything else happening. Right. Um, and, um, I just said, you know, I thought that that's what I wanted, but it turns out that I just can't deal with this. Mm-hmm. So I need to, um, 
can you do something permanent to, I just don't want to be pregnant. Right. Um, and so my doctor told me that day, he's like, listen, it's the holidays, it's hectic, it's crazy time of the year. I know this is what you say that you want, mm -hmm. but I really want you to wait until after the holidays, after this full six months is up. And I really want you to think about it because you did a lot, you know, to, you've went through a lot in the last couple of years. So I understand if that is really what you want, but I really want you to be sure. I don't want any rash decisions pretty much. You know. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So being um, fertile myrtle is what they <laughs> used to say. Yeah. Um, in February, then I found out, well, end of January, I think it was, I found out that I was pregnant. So, of course, then I had the, um, I guess, Christmas baby, the Christmas Eve pregnancy. <laughs> Which I feel there's a lot of those. But, um, and everything was perfect. I went to see my, um, I went to see my high risk doctor. I saw my cardiologist many times. They watched super close. Everything was amazing all through the pregnancy. It was super smooth. Mm -hmm. Um, the only complaint that I even could have had during that time is just that my body had been pregnant. Like I feel like so many times that I just like, I got the biggest belly ever, I think. Yeah. Um, but, you know, really um, everything was perfect. And so then um, we had a daughter on September 25th of 2013. Mm -hmm. Um, so then I had a 12 year old and a newborn, which was <laughs> quite the, um, quite the thing. <laughs> um, so, but how did that feel to like, like, I'd imagine a little bit that it would be a little surreal, like, like how this has actually happened now after all these like heartbreaks. Now I actually have this. Like, yeah, it was, it was like too good to be true. You know, it just is one of those things that you really are. So, I mean, I probably have babied her more than <laughs> my yeah. God, you know, she's just, and I, and I think everybody feels that way about her. She's just like, she's such a funny little girl and yeah. she's just the, um, she's just like a light. So like it's a really cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know, you know, people talk about the rainbow babies and stuff like that. And I don't really, I don't really say that, but she's definitely, um, she definitely was well needed for everybody because she just has brought like a ton of joy to, you know, yeah. everybody that's been around her. So yeah. 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 So that was pretty awesome. And she's now six. She Five. will be six on the 25th. Okay. So soon. Yep. Right? <laughs> it's gone very, very. So you've gone through all these experiences, right? Like losing mm -hmm. a baby, having to abort a baby, 
um, having the baby, like how has all of that kind of shaped your thoughts around, uh, you know, about abortion topics and about choosing life and about pro-choice and, and all of that? Like what, like how has that shaped, I'm just curious, like how that has shaped your ideas around that? Well, I've always been pro-choice. Mm -hmm. The I think the hardest thing was um, getting to be comfortable enough to tell people mm -hmm. that um, I guess kind of ever you know everything and to be honest about everything. So when I was young. Um, after I had my older daughter, I, um, I had left, um, her dad mm -hmm. and, um, and I, um, got into a relationship with a guy that was like a friend of mine for um, many years, many, many years. Mm -hmm. And, um, like I said, I was just always up for a good time and everything like that. Long story short is we were not in a amazing relationship. We were probably not in the healthiest of places mm -hmm. um, at all. And we had, um, I had gotten pregnant. Mm -hmm. um, I, at that point in my life had decided that had, I wanted to have an abortion. I knew that um, my daughter was not even a year old. Um, she was, I mean, like, I think at 10, 10, 11 months. Mm -hmm. um, and I just, I, I knew that I just was not going to ever be able to give that baby the life that it needed or wanted. And I wasn't even taking care of myself right. that good. Mm -hmm. Um, I was taking care of my daughter the best that I could mm -hmm. and, you know, everybody around me, but I wasn't like, I didn't love myself enough back then to, um, take care of myself. So, um, the choice was to have an abortion. So I have been on both sides of it. Mm -hmm. And I think that when I went in this time, you know, when I was told that this has to happen, it was just something that took me back. I, I don't think that I was prepared for, because I don't really, I mean, I, I talk about it, but a lot of times I, you know, I, I don't really, I don't really say much about it. I think that, um, some people that are really close to me know, um, that that happened back then. Um, but it, um, it was completely different going through it this time. And I don't regret the first time back then um and it does make me sad and you know and I think about it all the time it's something that you're always going to think about but this time was so completely different because I wanted to have the baby mm -hmm. so bad like I wanted that baby I was in a good place in my life yeah so being two completely different experiences like when I went in for that ultrasound it was the same place that they wouldn't let him come along and see the ultrasound. The difference was he didn't even come with me. 
my best friend's ex-husband took me you know so it just shows like you know where my husband's in the waiting room you know it was just you can be in two completely different places in your life um I think that admitting um afterwards I was so scared for people that are definitely pro-life mm-hmm. um I have a friend on Facebook who he is so pro-life and every, any post that he can possibly share that's pro-life. And I'll voice up and I'll say, you know what? It's not always a black and white conversation. And then he'll say, oh, but I know, I know your situation. And I'm sorry that you had to make that decision. And I think that was like the hardest thing is trying to explain to people that are so pro-life that there's not always a choice. It's not always black and white. Right. Yeah. 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 It's always, so I think that, I mean, just coming at it from seeing both sides, mm-hmm. you know, of life's experiences and how really, I mean, it's a big circle and everything comes back, you know? So, um, I, uh, it took a lot to work through that. And I think, you know, a lot of my tears during that time kind of wasn't only tears from that. I think that it brought me back to a place that I didn't like. Um, that, yeah, kind okay. of. I mean, so it. Um, but like, it, it healed a lot too. I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still friends with the um, the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, we've you know have stayed friends. For years, nothing had been talked about, um, and then we um, didn't talk for a number of years. And I, one day, went into I don't know some online accounts. I think it was like LinkedIn or something, and he had found me and wrote this nice long letter and just saying, you know, hey, I'm so sorry that this is where we're at now. You know that that's what happened because, you know, now he has a child Mm -hmm. and it, um, you know, neither one of us at that time in our lives or even in the couple years after would have been in a good place to raise a baby. So I think that, um, I mean, we did what was right for us at the time. Absolutely. And I think that's what, I think it kind of goes two ways. You either really think about it or you don't think about it at all. Like when I got pregnant with my son at 16, I didn't even like think about anything else as an option. And I I kept him. And then here at like 30, I'm watching Juno and like the movie Juno. Yeah. Yeah. Like have a complete breakdown about, oh my God, like I just realized the kind of decision I made, you know, like how big Mm -hmm. decision I made. And I feel like, you have to just do what is right in the moment. And like, sometimes it's, you're not thinking at all. And sometimes you're like really thinking it through and thinking like, mm-hmm. okay, well, will this give this child the best chance or the best, you know, situation? Would this be, you know, where am I at? And can I give this yeah. being a, you know, a great chance yep. in life? Like, so I feel like I- it, it's about really, just honoring wherever you're at and however mm-hmm. it happens. Mm-hmm. 
Oh yeah, for sure. Cause I don't, I mean, I never thought twice about my older daughter when I got pregnant with her, like it was, this is going to happen, you know, and I just was at a time in my place. I had just moved home. I had just left, you know, my engagement. I had, you know, my world was turned upside down and it just, it just was, I just needed to do, you know, at that point. Right. Um, well, and I'm but, guessing by then you already had your daughter. So you kind of knew what you were getting into if you were going to do it. Yeah. Right. For the yeah. First time, you don't know what you're getting into. <laughs> and I, and it's crazy because I think um, for a long time after everything went down with my heart, mm-hmm. I felt like that was my payback. Mm. It was my, yeah, it was my punishment for what I had done. It was like the world trying to tell me, you know, you can't just do something like that. And Mm -hmm. like, so here, I'm going to take this away from you since, so it was just a really, it was a really hard time to like find a good space Mm -hmm. in my head afterwards. Mm -hmm. Um, And now I, I did what I had to do, you know, and I have two amazing daughters right now. Mm -hmm. I have, um, the baby that, um, was aborted during my heart stuff. Um, like I acknowledge that that Mm -hmm. was a baby and, um, I don't, they had asked me if I wanted to know that Mm -hmm. day what, um, the gender was, and I told them that I didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know. I kind of sometimes regret that. I kind of wish like they gave me the choice where they could have told me and stuff. But I, at that time, I didn't think my heart could take knowing. Right. I'm sure it's like written down in a file somewhere. If I asked my doctor, I'm sure that he could probably, I would guess that. I mean, <laughs> I'm guessing somewhere, but when you, if, and when you want to know that, you'll be able to find out and yeah, you'll know when it, that's fine. Has all of these experiences like shifted your thoughts about life? Well. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, like I said, I definitely take life a lot more serious than I did before. And not that I'm like a fuddy-duddy or anything like that, but I definitely, um, I choose to be happy as much as I possibly can. I choose to wake up in the morning and smile. I, um, try as much as I can. Um, my husband's been traveling a lot, but I have a great group of friends that I work out with at five o'clock in the morning. And so like one of the things about when you go to the gym at five o'clock in the morning, everybody's happy because everybody chooses to get up at four o'clock to go do that. So I have this great group. Um, I have, um, I definitely, um, I'm trying to be a lot better with stuff like diet and stuff like that, which it doesn't always that's going to be a continuation of learning for me, I think. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I still feel like I have the metabolism of an 18 year old that doesn't have heart issues. Um, <laughs> and I don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I, um, I just like, you know, people to know that, you know, you really have to take care of yourself. So like you had, uh, you had your younger daughter and then I know you went through another procedure, right? Or another surgery. Yeah. Yep. I actually, um, last summer, so 2018, Mm -hmm. I, um, that 15 years that they told me that my valve would last really was like six. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to have that valve replaced again. Um, and this time I have a mechanical valve. Um, I came out of that surgery, um, also needing a pacemaker, mm-hmm. um, the, where the valve is, um, it just had deteriorated a lot. And, um, I, it's like the nerve endings and stuff like that when they took it out and they replaced the um, new one, the um, the bottom function of my heart doesn't beat on its own anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a pacemaker that I'm a hundred percent dependent on um, mm-hmm. for the lower half of my heart. So it's been a lot. I mean, um, and that unfortunately, you know, I guess the doctors didn't know that was going to happen. Um, I think that it does happen probably more times than it doesn't, but mm-hmm. they, um, they could, I don't think that they can really do anything to, you know, make that not happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I have a mechanical valve, which I sound like a Rolex. Um, <laughs> my little daughter, Levin, she, um, lays next to me and she tells me that she can hear my crickets <laughs> um which I think is really funny because I would have never I like yeah. to <laughs> I like the classier Rolex vision <laughs> so um oh sorry go ahead no and so um so I now I click I have to take blood thinners I have all kinds of but like still I mean I'm here <laughs> tell us about go red like you go speak at these these conferences right yes yeah um so for a couple years in a row i um spoke and they um used my story um and eventually i hope to get more active in it um they do every year a um, thing where they pick, you know, like eight or nine women that kind of travel around and tell their stories. Um, so eventually maybe once the girls are, my younger one is older, I'd like to do something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but Go Red for Women, um, but they're with the American Heart Association and they really are out there to cause, um, to promote awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, so pretty much every 80 seconds in the world, a woman dies from heart disease. Mm. Um, it's the leading killer of women. Um, and it's, you know, on all kind of, it's either heart disease or stroke. It's the leading cause of death. 
um, all cancers combined don't kill as many women a year as heart disease does. Do you happen to know like why that is? Like what is it about women and heart disease? Um, I think, you know, it's probably a lot of things. I think that, you know, self-care is probably, mm-hmm. I think that women are oftentimes the one taking care of everybody else and not taking care of themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'll get to that later. I'll do that after, um, like the working out, you know, I think now, um, especially in the last couple of years, you see a lot more women going to the gym um, and taking that time out from their families. I think they're making it a lot easier with daycares and drop-offs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, when we were young, I never even thought about going to the Y. You know, I had a good metabolism and I, I don't know, like maybe once a month or something I would run, but not, you know, I just, right. I didn't feel like I had to. Um, mm-hmm. I think that um, just not knowing, not knowing, like even that um, walking two and a half hours a week mm-hmm. that can um, make your risk go down like 25%. Wow. That's huge. So then if, you know, if you had um, even time to do an hour a day, you're, I mean, you're really gonna help yourself by some of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Eating, watching your cholesterol, watching, you know, all of that stuff Mm -hmm. is um, beneficial. My um, cardiologists now are on a beat kick. (laughs) Everything is beets. He's last time he asked me how many um, servings of beets do you eat a week? And oh, like the food. I thought you meant beets like Boom, 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 boom. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, be- beets like the food. Everything okay. is beets. Okay. So the beets are really good um, for your heart? <laughs> beets are very, very good for their heart. I think if he could have me eating beets every single day or, um, you know, where I live in this town, it's not really easy to get fresh beet juice, mm-hmm. but some, um, some areas are, like... Mm-hmm you know, a lot of bigger cities with juices and stuff, they would love me to be drinking at least a glass of beet juice every day. Yeah. Um, and then Mediterranean diet is kind of, I've asked, um, my cardiologist through all of this, through all of this stuff, I've gained a bunch of weight and it just seems like working out alone is not taking it off. So I know that I have to change my eating habits, mm-hmm. um, and stop stress eating. Um, so his, like, now his thing is, is the Mediterranean diet. He, you know, doesn't recommend, you know, for heart patients to really be doing keto or anything like that. He just, the Mediterranean, just because it's a healthy way of eating. Mm -hmm. Um, so a lot of learning that kind of stuff. What are some signs for people like if you if anyone's listening like yeah what are signs for women to watch for when it comes to like I mean there's obviously preventative care right self care and exercising mm-hmm. beats and <laughs> and things yeah yeah but um what are some you know some things to look for 
um, when it comes to like your heart? Yeah. So for myself, the biggest thing was shortness of breath. And I didn't even realize um, that was a thing until after that first time I went into the doctor. They said, are you not tired when you walk up the steps? And I'm like, well, I'm out of shape. So yeah. And I'm pregnant, you know? And yeah. he's like, he's like, you're out of breath because your heart is so bad right now. Um, so that was a huge thing, the shortness of breath. Mm-hmm. Um, any kind of sudden change like that, that um, where you would be feeling the shortness of breath, it's definitely worth getting checked out. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, Some of the other things is um, pain in the chest, numbness, mm-hmm. um, confusion, just feeling off. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of different um, things that you can look out, look out for that way. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also um, knowing your numbers and making sure that your numbers are kind of staying the same. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if you're definitely having, you know, your blood pressure is all over the place, or it's always high, you know, trying your best to get some of that stuff to go down. Mm-hmm. They would, I would say those would all definitely be supposed to be. Do you say know that what, again. You know what the normal like uh, rate is supposed to be? I think, is it like 120 over 80? I don't know for sure. I I don't know. So I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, sure. um, I'm sure. I'm guessing on the Go Red, they probably have a lot of this kind of information, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. They do have a ton of information on the Go Red for Women website. I'll be sure to link that in the, the post. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's usually like a Go Red um, for Women um, chapter in every state. So I think like um, Wisconsin is uh, like Go Red for Women Wisconsin or Go Red for okay yeah fox cities i mean they usually have a bunch of different chapters that you can get involved they do um, a bunch of fundraisers Mm -hmm. throughout the year this is kind of getting to the time where they start doing the heart and stroke walks um they usually kind of start doing that in fall Mm -hmm. and spring they do a lot of um dinners and stuff like that and then the um Usually it's the first Friday in February, first or second Friday in February is the um, Go Red for Women national campaign where they promote everybody wearing red and just Mm -hmm. um, to really get it out there. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. We'll make sure to uh, connect all that information so people can educate themselves. Um, yeah, so you're, you're out and you're speaking as a result of your experiences, like how else do you see yourself like using what you've learned to help other people? Um, I definitely think that, I mean, I will continue with the go red, um, stuff. Um, I also try to educate everybody that I talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to share my story and especially, you know, I have 
um, a guy that I even just talked to that he, I knew that um, we went to school together and that he had um, a heart murmur when we were growing up. And I'm like, have you been to a cardiologist? You know, so I definitely am trying to make stuff. I de- um, I'd like to see, you know, maybe someday I'll get my own fundraiser going. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to definitely make sure that as much people that can um, be aware are aware. Mm-hmm. So I hope that, you know, in the future, Maybe I don't, maybe I should write a book. I've definitely been through a lot of stuff. <laughs> I think so. I think so. Well, and just even you being here today and sharing uh, with all of our listeners is a great way to help spread awareness. And I know that, you know, your story is really powerful and, um, you know, it, it just is a testament to how important self-care is and how important mm-hmm. it is to um, take your health seriously you know? Yeah. And when we're teenagers and twenties, it's easy to dismiss, but like, Oh yeah. We end up paying for it later. (laughs) We don't. I think, and that, you know, and that's really it. I think that if I would have stayed on top of everything and especially after, you know, the pregnancy with my daughter, you know, I don't really know like when everything turned in that time frame, but at some time it did. So really, if I, if I wouldn't have gotten pregnant though, I mean, I could have just died, you know, right. it was getting bad. And right. so, I mean, I guess I'm glad that that happened, mm-hmm. you know, and this whole thing happened for that reason. Cause otherwise I probably wouldn't be here. I definitely believe that the things that happen to us are happening for us, no matter how yeah. they are. And yeah. that, you know, because of everything you've experienced now, you know, who knows the, the, hundreds if not thousands of people you'll be able to help just by sharing yeah. your story and yeah. awareness to you know that caring for our hearts are just as important mm-hmm. as the rest of our bodies yep for sure so I just want to thank you so much for being here today and sharing your story and um, yeah, you're welcome thank you so happy um, that you're doing well and your girls are well and um you know, hopefully your crickets keep you going for a very long right. time. You won't have to get a new, a new one. <laughs> yeah, I think this one should last for a long time. So I uh, hopefully we'll never have to get another one. Yeah. Thank you so much, Carla, for being here today and sharing. And how can people find you if they want to ask you questions or to reach out to you? What would be the best way for them to do that? Yeah, um, people can find me. Uh, my Facebook is just Carla Markwart. Okay. Um, or um, you can link my email okay. into there. That's probably. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Your time is valuable and we're grateful you're here. Please be sure to help us share the message of healing. And if you're ready to go on your self-love journey and you're in need of support, be sure to head on over to lorimarie.com slash self-love club and get started in adding more love in your life and loving the skin you're in.